So we've talked about cleanliness, we've talked about um, fuel availability, roughly. Um, one thing that was brought up to me, and is brought up to me quite a lot, especially when I talk to um, people in the public doing outreach things, is safety. Because it's got this, fusion has got this association with fission, and the one thing I always jump to is uh, people talk about meltdowns. It's important to say that a fusion reaction cannot melt down. In fission, you've got this chain reaction process that you're you're balancing. You want it to be at a certain level, and if it goes uh, too too far, it starts rolling downhill, picks up momentum, and you can't control it. The fusion reaction, you are running it as hot and as dense as you can. You there's no if you can push it further, you push it further, right? There's no there's no balancing. You don't try and bring it down at all. So in that sense. And it, it can't it can't go too much, right? It's already running at maximum output. So what if your confinement scenario breaks down? What if your what if you get a hole in your chamber? What happens well, then? as this is an MCF issue, I'll let an MCF person. Well, well I asked the question, so I can't both, answer it. I think essentially all of the heat and energy that's gone into your reaction is suddenly found a leakage point, and it's going to go straight into your wall. It's going to melt that. And it's it's going to stop the reaction immediately. It's not a chain reaction. Mm. So your reaction is going to stop. So you'll get no um, extra impetus, if you like. I'm not clear that it will melt the wall. I mean, so... Well, I mean, what will, it already I mean, if does. You, if you get, so what do you mean by a hole in the wall? So like a, a breach. Is, is so air, yeah, com- like air coming in. Yeah. Yeah. If anything gets into the plasma, it will go straight out. Yeah. It won't, it's, if it's if it hits f- the wall, it will melt. But it it's such a finely balanced system, yeah, that practically anything coming in that shouldn't be in will just extinguish the plasma. You could quite literally blow it out like a candle. Like, that would genuinely put <laughs> out gets. the tokamak. And, and the thing is 150 million degrees in the middle, and you can blow it out like a candle. Yeah. That's how powerful our listeners are. Uh, so, we've been talking quite a lot about how it's safe uh, and various things like that that are very technical engineering. We've talked a little bit about how much energy we can get out. Um, I think we should put some numbers on that. So per reaction, you get 17.6 mega electron volts, which if you can convert to joules in your head is 1.6 times 10 to the minus 19 times whatever that is, but I'm not going to do it just now. I think a much easier number is for half a gram of fusion fuel, which I think we agreed was how much you need per year as a person. Um, You get the same energy output uh, as 11 tonnes of coal. So not only is it a fuel source, it's a super efficient fuel source, um, and we can get away with very little fuel. So, I would say, su- so it's super efficient, it's also super abundant, isn't it? Right, yeah. yeah. I, so. I wouldn't, I'm not sure if efficient is the right word. I'd say it's energy dense rather than okay. well, I mean, it, efficient. Efficiency implies that you're very good at getting the energy out. I, do you see what I mean? I think okay, I, yeah. I, think I, agree I see the point. So I, I wouldn't. I would. I, per reaction, there's a lot of energy yeah. compared to other. So energy I'd say more so energy dense rather than energy. Efficiency is generally an overused word, as I have just demonstrated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But so it's it's a very effective fuel source, we could say. Yeah, I was going to say the word efficiency is used inefficiently. Hey, <laughs> I, think, I think that was a very efficient I mean, description of the uh, current state of the use of efficiency. Okay, it's gone. The, okay, right. Stop. Yes. Well, we could say that, but we chose not. As Phil mentioned, the fuel source is actually very abundant. So we have both deuterium and tritium. So deuterium is actually readily available from seawater. So a glass of seawater would provide a great deal of energy for a single person. 
And actually, a bathtub full of seawater would provide enough energy for a, uh, a lifetime of energy for a single person, which is quite nifty. Imagine that next time you're in the bath, that that could provide all, all the salt energy you'd ever need. Plus a little bit from... A glass of seawater. Well, I thought your next step was going to tritium. Right. So tritium, there is actually a little bit in seawater, but it's a bit hard to get. So we normally go for getting it from lithium, which is readily available in the Earth's crust. Um, I think I read that it's pretty much uniformly distributed throughout the Earth's crust. So this is something really exciting about fusion. Most countries have access to some kind of water source. Um, even landlocked countries in the middle of Europe, like Austria, they have rivers flowing through them, they can get water. And all countries are on land, they have some Earth's crust, so they can dig it up and probably get some lithium. So with these, we have the two fuels for fusion. So I think it's a great sort of devolvement of energy production. Any, any country could feasibly do this. All you need is a tokamak. That's a bit of a caveat. <laughs> <laughs> but once we get to like knocking tokamaks off the production line, we can give them to everyone. and Everyone can make their own energy. Of you don't have to rely on someone else pumping gas in and then turning off the tap when you don't do what they, they want you to do. And I think it's just going to be absolutely revolutionary. An in in that, interesting in stat. Of, um, cut you off a bit. Uh, an interesting stat about the cost once you've got the tokamak as well. So... Uh, currently, energy market is about ten cents per kilowatt hour, correct? Uh, I heard uh, something I had heard, heard earlier today is the cost of just extracting deuterium is a thousandth of a, of a cent per kilowatt hour. So, once you've actually got the tokamak built and you've got that done cheaply, the fuel cost is nothing, right? It's Oh, right. Well, for this deuterium, yeah, this this is a very utopian vision of the world, well, which we ignore the fact that you actually definitely need seawater for deuterium. Uh, and tritium presently costs $30,000 a gram because there is so little of it actually made in the world. But if you average the two, not too bad. <laughs> and also, we're talking in a system where you've already got your tokamaks. So one thing we might cover in future talks is that the fusion reaction, the machine that builds um, the tokamak that makes uh, fusion happen, actually produces, ideally, will produce its own tritium fuel. So you'll actually only have to extract deuterium um, and through what we call breeding blankets, which we won't go into now, um, actually you make your own tritium fuel. So the, the fact that deuterium is cheap in a, in a world where we've already got fusion up and running is, is quite significant, I think. Yeah, so you need a little starter of tritium to get going, and then the machine will breed its own. You could almost imagine having a tokamak startup pack <laughs> handed out to each of the countries. In a little plastic bag. In a little plastic bag. Or maybe a party bag, yeah. Definitely a part of that. Maybe like a Talk McDonald's Happy party. Meal comes with a tokamak. <laughs> why can we not just sell them the patent? No, you have why to get it. We, you have to get. To you have to choose either a cheeseburger, a McFlurry, or a tokamak. Okay. If you have a shooting car. What? Imagine <laughs> how quickly the novelty <laughs> would run off. You're like, oh, I've already got the entire. Set. <laughs> <laughs> I just want a McFlurry. But it's tokamak without the K, just M A C. Excellent. <laughs> oh, as soon as Fusion takes off McDonald's are going to go in for that they're going to have no no we've trademarked that now you heard it here first people <laughs> we so, should in, I mean in the meantime <laughs> whilst we, I mean, there, are, there are some caveats about that breeding blanket thing which we will talk about in the future um, and in the meantime we just have to be really nice to Canada because they've got all the tritium in their candy well they're shutting down the reactors yeah they're being decommissioned yeah but we need, we, so we need to persuade them to hold on to it or just yeah. give it to us 
We should probably expand on how we actually get the tritium from lithium. Ooh. Well, that we are, we are going into breeding blankets then. Just, I just think. very briefly. Okay. Well, very the briefly neutron. then, the neutron hits the lithium and we get tritium. <laughs> <laughs> you heard that's it here. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly how it works. <laughs> are you going to say you heard it here first for a nuclear physics reaction <laughs> that is entirely natural? It's like trying to trademark, not trademark, what I mean, patent DNA. Quite a lot of the people might have heard it here first, though. That's a fair point. But they, it does sound like you're claiming it as your own idea. Uh, well, the key difference between the two of them is with, with tritium, it's not just taking it out. With uh, deuterium, the process of getting deuterium is a lot more simple. You just just take it out and see what's tritium you actually have to make. It's not there. You have to you have to create it through a reaction. And deuterium is in seawater. You just get it out of the seawater. Tritium does not exist until you make it with, with a reaction. The two differences between the process. But an important point about both is both lithium and uh, seawater are incredibly abundant. So mm-hmm. from the point of view of sustainability, this is a long-term project. I think, by my maths, it was 180 billion years worth of deuterium in the oceans. So we're good. Yeah, I mean, you're talking good about precious oil, metals yeah. to make um, solar panels anyway. So in terms of sustainability and renewability... Uh, you can't make an infinite amount of solar panels, so... I thought you were the one who wanted solar power for everything. I do, but there are seven limits, aren't there? Okay. I think we should... Another thing we can compare uh, with fuel sources versus renewables is how they actually produce energy. So, for example, solar cells, uh, hydro, wind, that all depends on the climate that the reactor is in or the whatever the machine is in. So if it's not windy, then you haven't got power. If it's if it's a bit cloudy, then you haven't got power. If the river is a bit quiet today, you haven't got power. But something like... <laughs> Actually, I heard that some solar cells work better when it's a bit cloudy. If yeah, it's anyway. too sunny, then you haven't got power. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so diffuse lights still work, but it works a lot as well. I was, I was excited by the idea of a quiet river. You get quiet rivers, like high tide, low tide, in rivers. Tides, not in rivers. Can you go to school? Can confirm, as a kayaker, uh, some rivers have tidal flows. Oh, wait, do you kayak? It's an estuary. Kayak. Kayak. I just said kayak. <laughs> oh, I don't know the technical terms. Maybe. <laughs> no, I don't know this. But then why do they refer to the tidal estuaries? Is there another kind? I don't know what an estuary is. I didn't do geography. A bit at the end of the Thames. Shout out to any geographists who definitely are listening to this podcast. Geographists. <laughs> Geographers. <laughs> I did geography till lower sixth, and then Oxford made me drop it to take advanced maths to get into physics, and then I didn't get into Oxford. Oh. I was slightly bitter about that. Geographists could be some I love revolutionary that. group of geographers with like a, a fist as their emblem. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> All right, so we've talked a lot about how fusion... Andy, tell us why fusion. Where does it fit in the actual energy market? I didn't finish my point. <laughs> oh, well, I lost so much interest. <laughs> I would love to I answer that for you, Charlie. But first... But with, uh, with, with sources like uh, fission or even fusion or coal or whatever, these are all uh, powered by fuel. So the, we control how much energy we actually get out and in from it. So if... For example, if we have too much energy, then we can turn off a few coal plants. We can turn off some coal... Um, what are we called? Coal gas turbines. Coal gas turbines. We can turn them on and off really, really, really quickly. So you actually have a lot more control on how much energy you're producing, and that is actually something very necessary. For If you look at the energy uh, usage of the UK, you can see it oscillates quite a lot on a daily basis, and you have to match that energy as the time, as the requirements change. So having... Uh, something that kind of fluctuates a lot is quite difficult to uh, like 
maintain grid-wise. Mm. On the other side, you absolutely cannot turn off a nuclear power station. So <laughs> you have to use that energy. Yeah. And gas turns on much quicker than coal. There are things like that. But, uh, and this is where energy storage comes in. Yeah, right? exactly. Eventually, one day, hopefully, we'll sort that properly. Yeah. But I, I think it's easier to have something that's constantly putting out energy rather than something that might put out energy when you or might not when you need it. Yeah, because you can rely on it. You can say, we'll have this amount from yeah. our fusion reactors. And you can use reactors. fusion or fission as like a baseline power source. And then, you know, as things oscillate during the day, using yeah. renewables. Um, yes, yeah, so we'll, we'll probably have the baseline argument during our renewables yeah. session. I think it's Switzerland have opened the first carbon capture plant where they use About energy time. to actually essentially a giant hoover that sucks in air and extracts the carbon out of it. And I think they use it to pump it into greenhouses. So in theory, you could have a very high baseload of considering of consisting of your um, nuclear plants and then maybe your renewables. And when you have excess energy, you could either put it into energy storage or you can put it into a carbon capture plant. So there are lots of options for the future. It's actually an amazing idea. That's actually a genius idea. Excess, excess renewable energy. I've seen it talked about. Yeah, I think that quote. I think they quote something like, "You need 120 million of these carbon capture plants." (laughs) Right. Okay. Reverse global warming. Yeah, it's a first step. It's a first step. I mean, what I would want to do. I want to put it on a balloon and just let it go. Just fly around the earth, capturing all this, all this air, all this carbon. It'll be like an interstellar when they find that drone fly around in yeah. like a thousand years. People are just like, what is that? <laughs> for, for listeners who don't know Charlie, this is not the first time he suggested putting his invention on a balloon. <laughs> I do like balloons. What couldn't be made better by being put on a balloon? I, I literally Lava. Think about it. That was rhetorical. Lava. Should we talk about geothermal, Charlie? <laughs> Why isn't everything done by geothermal? What I want is a company that makes a drill and you just put it in your back garden and it'll drill down, it'll test how hot it is and it'll lay all the piping for your geothermal plant and then you just run your house off that. Quite expensive drill, then. Free energy, though, after it. Free energy, mate. You make your money back in maybe 100, 150 years. Yeah, yeah. Those, those, those heat engine things for your house. Yeah, it's a really, yeah, it's a really good. Yeah, Dad's looking at me intently right now. What was your question, Charlie? Sorry, <laughs> he's completely. Well, I think we've just covered why fusion in terms of base load and yeah, where it fits in the energy sector. Yeah. Ah, right, okay. Are we done? Andy, what did we talk about this week? Well, I was going to bring it back to the sort of question I asked at the start as a kind of way of defining fusion energy. Um, the reasons we might want to pursue this are. Uh, a lot of the ones to do with fuel sources generally, but this is a particularly good fuel source in terms of the amount of energy you can get out for the amount of fuel it takes to go in. Um, it is inherently safe, and despite that, we still build in a bunch of redundancy, so we're, we're really incredibly good on the safety front. Uh, it meets all kinds of sustainability criteria in terms of a long-term fuel source, in terms of uh, not being polluting, particularly that there are some radioactive things that we discussed we want to talk about, um, and so it's also very clean in that respect. I think those are probably my key strengths of fusion. I think generally it just beats every other any other uh, energy production method in everything apart from cost and also yes. resistance. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> those, those are the only two things. Which yeah, are right? intertwined. Current viability yeah. and cost. 
Yeah. Bad. <laughs> Everything else, really good for future. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you that's every, why it's a research project. Yeah. Yeah. Every oh yeah, every bad thing you say about any energy production system, you just go, well, fusion doesn't have that problem. It's true, actually. It's, 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 it's just so good. Like like story <laughs> I literally have just been thinking about Robot Wars <laughs> two minutes ago. Uh, Fusion powered robot. Yeah, it would obviously Ooh, win. Oh yeah. Can you imagine the wind? Imagine robot. <laughs> 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 I've got a summary. <laughs> just, just, just be like a wind powered one and a hydro one. Just going. It won't. It's not windy in here. It won't rain. And future ones just like. <laughs> <laughs> The wind turbine blades are made like really sharp though. So if there is wind, it can. Yeah, but yeah, there's no wind. What the fuck? What's the big Every 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 power source. So we've already ruled out the wind and rain. There's no. Uh, this is an indoor scenario. So, so wind solar and rain power as well then. Really. Well, so like coal and gas are just going to choke yeah, bro, you out. Yeah, probably. So it's yeah. just going to be the smoke. Yeah, see. Nah, so I'm a couple. Yeah. <laughs> no, gas. That was gas last there there ages. That's why they put them in satellites. Gas will just fill the room. And... No, no, no. Gas, gas will turn on really quick. Everyone else will be like, power cranking up your nuclear power station. Gas will be like, boom, I'm here. Bam, you're out. Fission I, turns on pretty quick. I think it would just be fission because like, if you knocked fission a little bit too, it would just go out of control and just destroy <laughs> yeah, everything. Down, it? Destroy <laughs> itself as it well. It comes in with its control rods like daisy. These will fall out and they're all gone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so fission wins. I think fission would win. Yeah, I'm not sure I count that as win. Everyone loses. <laughs> we don't fight. What do you mean? Fission comes in and goes a day to try it, and everyone goes, "Okay, I back off." Yeah, so they they all concede and fission wins. Oh, I see. So either fission wins or everyone loses. That's the exact same nuclear war works. Is <laughs> <laughs> that exactly the only way to win? Is not to play. That's exactly what I was thinking. Oh, jokes. Sounds like we've reached the end of our glass. See you next time. <laughs>